Welcome to another episode of The Realist in Brussels, where today we'll be looking into the risky behavior of this Austrian Prime Minister. Diese Lieferpläne stehen klar im Widerspruch zum politischen Ziel der Europäischen Union, nämlich dass alle Mitgliedstaaten gleichermaßen pro Kopf ihren Anteil an Impfdosen erhalten sollen. This was Sebastian Kurz, Bundeskanzler for Austria, making a statement that the delivery plan for COVID vaccines is clearly contradictory to the political goal of the European Union. It is late March 2021, and in talks with the European Council, Austria is threatening to block the European Commission from securing another 100 million BioNTech-Pfizer vaccine doses, unless they get a bigger slice of the delivery. The president of the Council called for an agreement. I think that it's important dass wir jetzt äh, gemeinsam mit Ursula von der Leyen und Charles Michel hier einen Korrekturmechanismus zustande bringen. However, Kurz argues here that this plan is not fair and that Europeans would not understand this unequal treatment. He proposes that the Commission and the Council come to a correctional agreement and that Bulgaria, a country of 7 million, would not receive one-third the doses of Malta, a country of approximately half a million. In the end, he emphasizes this is not in line with the European ideals and values. Now, you would be forgiven for thinking that this sounds like a move best captured by non-rational concepts. But no, this is more like, although arguably ill-executed, clear-cut realism. A school of thought from international relations theory focusing on coercive power resources. The move could even be described as a form of blackmail, which in this context undermines the efforts by the European Commission to coordinate and distribute COVID vaccines in the EU. This path makes it clear that neoliberal institutionalist view does not hold in the eyes of the realist. Problems with collaboration remain an issue and institutions constitute a false promise, at least according to the literature. Blackmail is a high-risk strategy, certainly in a diplomatic context, not least during a pandemic and looming economic crisis, and not to mention the epidemiological and economic interdependence between Austria and the rest of the EU. As an example, some EU diplomats reacted to this move by suggesting that Austria drop out of the joint vaccine procurement program entirely. In the end, his efforts failed to secure additional vaccines and it was reported that his influence and credibility were severely damaged. Why did Mr. Kurtz roll the dice? What could be the rationale? Was Austria in a dire situation? Not necessarily. Austria was doing comparatively well, better than most of the other 26 member states in both vaccine distribution and in coronavirus cases. And in the preceding weeks, Austria has been one of the top 10 countries in its vaccine rollout. Kurz's push has instead been suspected of being merely a distraction for political risk at home, due to the fact that Austria did not initially buy all of the BioNTech, Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson doses made available to it under the pro rata allocation. This allocation key gave member states the opportunity to purchase vaccines relative to population size. Indeed, would it appear as a botched EU effort 
the Austrian Bundeskanzler would have had his scapegoat. Kurz's government was in fact itself to blame for having declined to purchase its full allotment of doses under the EU's joint vaccine procurement program. Austria member of the European Parliament, Claudia Gamon, hinted that Kurz generally sees the EU as a means to an end in his own political game and is in political trouble at home. The result? Well, although Sebastian Kurz did not get his additional vaccines outright, the threats did lead to discretion over distribution of the additional vaccines no longer residing with the vaccine steering board. Critically, according to Austria, purchasing new vaccines centrally requires emergency support instrument funds and legal approval from the EU's vaccine steering board, an intergovernmental consensus-based body. No consensus means no decision and thus no institutional response at the international level. In other words, the conflict that the Austrian leader had stirred up caused a move towards an anarchical state of affairs. According to the School of Realism, in the anarchic playing field of international politics, there is nothing that can stop national actors from making individual choices. While the EU's vaccine steering board might have operated in the interest of the Austrians, as long as this does not hold true for the decision makers, in this case, Mr. Kurtz, in the end, there is no reason for them to support such initiatives. However, anarchy is not equal to chaos. The EU could prepare for such a situation in the future. The situation being one where the competency lies formally with the member states. One interpretation is that the absence of more robust EU vaccine steering board as a means of governance merely means that egocentric behavior of government actors is not internalized within the institutional framework. From a neoliberal institutional perspective, institutions seek to overcome the tendency to egocentric behaviors through behavior optimizing incentives for actors within the system. In other words, Institutions can be a solution to self-defeating egocentric actions in international cooperation, but only if the tendencies understood as realism are sufficiently internalized within the system. How then can the Commission propose another way of cooperation to avoid such conflicts, policy delay and scapegoating? As it turns out, the heads of state and government in the council are often realist actors acting to increase their support in national arenas, not necessarily within the council. It is unlikely that any EU-level governance structure will break free from such a dynamic in policy areas that are largely national competencies. In a rational order of things, we can devise a clear path for rational actors, handle the pandemic, reduce public health distress, avoid economic crisis, get public support at home. Yet, such a result is unlikely without some degree of shared responsibility. Because while on the one hand, the pandemic is inherently cross-border in nature, on the other hand, shared responsibility reduces accountability. The key is to build a coordinated response while avoiding as much as possible shared accountability. Instead, it should be the national leaders who are held accountable for their own contributions, while there is an incentive to coordinate as well. 
Fortunately, there is a third way, one that is based on what could be seen as neoliberal institutional cooperation, but where the persistence of anarchistic elements is better recognized. This could be in the form of coalitions of the willing. First of all, the coalitions can move forward with less friction between fewer players and thus fewer specific preferences. Secondly, the coalitions give a greater level of ownership to the national actors where the sharedness of the accountability is narrower between fewer actors. Still, it should be mentioned that this would come together with some drawbacks. Firstly, too much fragmentation between coalitions of the willing would defeat the purpose of coordinating. The negotiating mandate vis-a-vis -vis the vaccine producers would deteriorate, as would the redistributive element of the vaccine's procurement programs. Secondly, the EU could end up with two standards, where one coalition of the willing deviates significantly from the other, creating disunity and inequalities that indeed go against the EU treaties. Nevertheless, the Commission should consider a coordinated procurement program with some room for flexibility, with reduced accountability sharing internally, but with sustained unity externally. In fact, the Commission, although eager to get greater support through taking actions in the limelight of the pandemic, should opt for a more facilitative role. In that framework, the national leaders can form coalitions of the willing while taking advantage of coordinated EU-level efforts. As a result, taking a stab at the EU for failing in vaccines distributions becomes a difficult sell, even at home. Now, going back to square one, why did Mr. Kurtz roll the dice and what could be the rationale? In this episode, we determined a couple of things. First of all, the Austrian Bundeskanzler was given an opportunity to wager an attempt to make the Commission its scapegoat. Although this failed, the friction that was created by the accusations came at an untimely moment, delaying the purchase of life-saving, if not economy-saving, vaccines. The second thing we determined is that by taking decisive action, the Commission dilutes accountability of national leaders, who in the end still hold the power over success or failure of the vaccine's procurement programs, not to mention their ability to define the narrative at home. Our suggested solution is a system where coalitions of the willing are allowed to create procurement and distribution programs within an EU framework that would be less visible to the national public. With explicit accountability at the national level, the Commission President might not have had to publicly defend her efforts for coordination while national leaders openly and brazenly attack. These are unprecedented times. We cannot overcome this virus if egocentric behaviors, as predictable as they often are, are not accounted for in international policy response. Naturally, this is not a cure-all solution. We invite you to post your comments in the chat and have a think on how you would have solved this conundrum. But for now, Thank you for listening to this episode and do tune in next week.